As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Greetings, welcome back to One True Pod, the Athletics Big 12 football podcast. I'm Jason Kersey, he's Max Olson. Uh, Bowl season is over, Texas has a new head coach. There is a ton to talk about, Max. We're going to get into uh, Texas's hiring of Steve Sarkeesian uh, with with Aaron Suttles, our Alabama beat writer, a little bit later in the pod. Um, we've got bowls to cover. Uh, Max, the Big 12 went 5-0 and in bowl season. Put, put some respect on the... Big 12's name. That's right. That's right. <laughs> they, How about that? They did it. 5-0. and I mean, and it could have been 6-0 and if uh, if TCU had uh, had been able to play the uh, the Texas Bowl because they probably would have been a fa- – or they probably were a favorite in that game, right? So I think that would have been yeah. winnable. Yeah, I think so. So, so yeah, it was a uh, pretty – pretty pretty strong performance across the board here for the the conference especially in you know I would say other than maybe the Alamo Bowl I think they were all pretty like pretty tough good matchups to going into it oh yeah I mean absolutely these 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 were a series of impressive wins I mean Oklahoma beats Florida we'll get into that in a minute Oklahoma State beats Miami um, a team that had been you know that spent the majority of the season ranked um, uh, West Virginia comes back and beats Army. Really impressive victory for them. And then Iowa State, man, what a victory for the yeah. Cyclones, uh, you know, in, in the Fiesta Bowl over Oregon. So a lot a lot of exciting stuff to talk about here, but really a very impressive showing by the Big 12 uh, all around. It was. Um, it was, uh, I mean, that, that performance by Oklahoma probably should start there just because I feel like yeah. that was – it's always a big deal when you get the uh, – the big time, you know, Big Twelve versus SEC bowl game, and this one, um, you know, you knew when a bunch of players opted out that it was going to be pretty tough for for Kyle Trask and, and Florida. But I didn't think that would make Oklahoma, uh, you know, thirty five points better than Florida. I mean, that was just an incredible, incredible blowout, um, and just a game where everything went Oklahoma's way. Totally. I mean, when 
when Kyle Trask threw three interceptions in, in, in the first <laughs> quarter, I mean, it was, it was, uh, I, I think it was the first quarter. My brain is a little bit, uh, you know, cloudy mm-hmm. here, whether it yeah, was the no, first right. quarter or the, yeah, a little bit in the second, but either way, yeah, it was unbelievable. Um, and, and, you know, even they, they would drive down to the, at one point they drove down. One of those interceptions was in the end zone. Um, and that's why, you know, I, I know that, and we're going to have to discuss Dan Mullen's comments, but, that to me is why I don't put a ton of stock into what he said. Now he's, he's correct that it was a tough game for them. They were missing some very key players, no doubt about it, but your Heisman finalist quarterback was throwing interceptions that were ugly. I mean, that was, that was, Jason, it, it, it wasn't their damn scout team. We can agree on that. Right? Yes. It was not their scout team. Uh, let's, let's just get into that. Dan Mullen uh, claims after the game that, the last game the 2020 team played was 11 days ago, uh, and he referred to it as his scout team, made the comment that he, oh, we didn't even have to play if we didn't want to. We, we could have we skipped out on this game. Um, I, I don't know why anything surprises me with Dan Mullen anymore, but that really did. I, I, I thought that was uh, pretty pathetic. Yeah. I, to, to say, oh, the, the, this was the 2021 team and the 2020 2020- team stopped you know after the the sec title game just ridiculous i mean it you're just what what does that say to the players that you put out there to play you know that you you think they're all losers and they you know they they, this wasn't the 2020 squad that you won so many games with i mean come on you know it's crazy yeah uh somehow just but that's that's it's been a long season of that for dan mullen um i think he's It'll be good for him to kind of, uh, you know, relax a little bit and and, and stop, uh, you know, get away from a microphone here for a little while. Yeah. But, I mean, what we have to say about Oklahoma is, I mean, it was an unbelievably per- impressive performance, a thorough, thorough domination. And all it's going to do is set up the, uh, the hype machine for next year, which already was revved into high gear, considering what OU, uh, how they've recruited, Spencer Rattler's development, who they are going to have coming back. Now, there are still a few decisions to be made. Ronnie Perkins and Ramondre Stevenson haven't made their plans known yet. Nick Benito's been a little bit vague about it. Um, so those three guys are sort of the big outstanding uh, guys left. But even if they all go, Oklahoma's going to be a really damn good team next year, or at least it looks like they will be. Do, do you, having watched the... Uh... The Alabama Notre Dame game. I, it's hard for me to say Oklahoma should have been in that game. I, I I honestly feel like the the way that went with the Cotton Bowl and and such a dominant win that kind of builds that momentum is is I you know as much as you want to be in the playoff every year, I feel like that's arguably a little bit better in terms of getting this thing rolling than you know a, a potential smackdown from an Alabama team that I think is going to win it all. Oh, totally. I mean, I wrote that in the lead up to the game that this was the perfect situation for OU. They got to play in a big bowl game against an upper tier SEC team, um, give them some momentum going the offseason, but they don't they didn't have to play under the pressure of the playoff. I mean, a, a fourth straight year. I mean, they of, can get a top four finish in the AP poll without going to the playoff like that. Right. You know, that, that's going to look great. Right. But, I mean, a fourth straight season of losing a playoff semifinal to an SEC team would have been really rough. I mean, that would have been yeah. really rough. And and that's what would have happened. Let's be honest. Oklahoma has played, like, a really good team down the stretch. Um, I do think that they're one of the four best teams probably now. I think that we, we can probably say that. Um, but they would not have beaten Alabama. Uh, I, I don't know that they would have got blown out like Notre Dame did, but they wouldn't have beaten Alabama. So this this worked out perfectly for them. 
Yeah, I think they definitely could have played with Clemson and Notre Dame, but mm-hmm. um, that's just how the playoffs set up this year. You know, that that's just how it was, and I think the two best teams made it to the end here. So, um, but that I'm not taking saying that to take any way, anything away from Oklahoma. I think at at present time, the way they're playing, um, and just like the way they ran the ball against Florida, I mean, I was just I was floored because you think about the struggles early in the season against K State and Iowa State to kind of find that. Um, consistency and really balance things out to make it a lot easier on Spencer Rattler, and everything was hitting against Florida. I mean that that the the confidence there from that O line uh, over the course of the season to their improvement to get Stevenson back, the the way McGowan was running in that game at the at the end there, like yeah, I think it's it it, it really did look like uh, a classic Lincoln Riley Oklahoma team, and I think that's what you're um, you know going to see in 2021. Yeah. Um, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think Oklahoma is going to enter the next season, uh, really with a ton of, uh, hype and, uh, there's going to be a lot of, um, people around here. Around probably, o- probably preseason top five. Wouldn't you think? I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. I mean, this, this is going to be a lot like, I mean, I'm going to give some OU fans a panic attack here, but this is. This offseason already sort of feels a lot like what it felt like uh, seven years ago uh, after Oklahoma goes to the Sugar Bowl, upsets Alabama. Trevor Knight, a redshirt freshman quarterback, has an unbelievably good game, uh, and they beat an SEC team that nobody thought they were going to beat or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and and then they came back the next season and had arguably the worst season of the Bob Stoops era. So. Uh, and I think we could, we've also seen from Texas many times over that uh, a dominant bowl performance doesn't necessarily translate to uh, a great following season. So, I mean, yeah. uh, I think we need to keep that in mind, but the trends look pretty good for, for this Oklahoma team. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, and I would say I would say Texas turning over again probably helps helps you make the case that that they're gonna roll through the the Big Twelve. But Iowa State is definitely gonna stand in their way again. I think in twenty twenty one. Now we'll see, um, you know, how many of their seniors from that senior class come back, and and if you know Matt Campbell can keep his staff all together again, like he generally tends to do. But I'll tell you what, you you've got the core of Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, and Mike Rose coming back. And you got a team that that is coming off the best season in school history, which they wrapped up uh, in the Fiesta Bowl with the the thirty four seventeen win over Oregon. That you know, while that's not a super high scoring thing, that was a freaking dominant performance from Iowa State. That was, um, you know, that was Matt Campbell loves talking about the best version of themselves. That was the best version of Iowa State, the way they played uh, against an Oregon team. That look, I know they finished four and three 
Um, but they won the Pac-12, and they've they've definitely got some dudes on that team. And and I thought I I was just really impressed and, and happy for Iowa State fans that after playing in a bunch of bowl games here under uh, you know these last couple of years against good opponents, um, they they really brought their best in this one. I mean, they just lined up and kicked their ass. I mean, that's just what they yeah. did. They just kicked their ass. Brees Hall. Um, Ran the ball incredibly well. I I don't feel like such a Big Twelve homer now for putting him on my Heisman ballot. Brees Hall sort of validated my my vote. I think for the Heisman there, uh, I put him third on my ballot. Uh, I I felt like maybe I was being a little bit of a Big Twelve homer by doing that, but between his performance and then seeing the number of votes that he got, um, uh, as Tobias Fumke would say, there are dozens of us. <laughs> Dozens, yeah. I and and I think he will, uh, you know, be a preseason Heisman guy. He and Purdy probably uh, to start off next year because I I I personally like you know we saw obviously last year Baylor, you know, gets to the top of the mountain top there against Oklahoma and and goes to New Year Six and all that, and then they have all that change that kind of sends them back down the standings. I, I don't think to, as of today, I don't think that's going to be the case at Iowa State. I think they're going to be able to run it back a little bit. So that's going to be very exciting to see. Um, I, I don't think this was just a one year one year wonder thing. I think they're I do think they're here to say as long as Matt Campbell's in Ames. So that was an awesome uh, awesome way for them to wrap it up. How about Texas? Uh, turns out uh, winning the uh, the Alamo fifty five to twenty three against a Colorado team that you know unclear if they wanted to play in that game, but <laughs> they were there. Um, I feel like not only did that that game not save Tom Herman's job. Um, but to watch Bijan Robinson go off like that, um, probably to some people, probably hurt, probably hurt his chances a little bit just to see, you know, the, the, and I, I wrote about this after the firing, but, and we've mentioned it, Jason, like, how is it that Texas, once they're kicked out of the Big 12 race, they play their best football against K State in, in Colorado? Well, I know it's, uh, it turns out Bijan Robinson is pretty good. Uh, yeah, uh, he, he had five carries for 17 yards uh, against Oklahoma, uh, which is mind blowing in a, in a, in a game you, that you, uh, lost in four overtimes that clearly the most talented player on your offense is, gets five carries and that's pretty incredible. Yeah. I, I think there's, you know, I think there's probably like a valid excuse for that. You know, the, the development of freshmen is not always totally, you know, linear and straightforward. I, I think he. I think just his vision and his toughness and all that are are way better right now than we saw in the Cotton Bowl and stuff like that. So he he's improved since then for sure. But the usage thing definitely comes up and uh, is is hard to hard to believe, especially when you consider that over these last two games, Texas's offensive line was in worse shape than it was, you know, in terms of the players they're missing than it was for the rest of the season. So uh, just an incredible finish by him and. Uh, you know, the fact they're keeping Stan Drayton, I would think means B. John Robinson's going to stay at Texas, but, uh, he's, he has to be pretty excited about, uh, what he could do in a, a Steve Sarkeesian offense. And that, that performance was, uh, was incredible. And then, you know, Casey Thompson coming out of nowhere, the Oklahoma right. native, um, you know, I think there, the speculation I think for the last year has been that Hudson card is, is the future at Texas and, uh, Casey Thompson definitely, uh, made a statement in his first kind of real playing time for Texas that uh, he could he could be really really competitive in that race this year. Yeah, the son of uh, former Oklahoma quarterback Charles Thompson, son of former uh, Oklahoma backup or 
brother of brother former yeah. Oklahoma backup quarterback Kendall Thompson. Uh, he's not the son of two former OU quarterbacks. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, but but no, uh, he looked unbelievable, and uh, that that was pretty neat to see. And I've always sort of thought that if he could ever become the starter, that would be a pretty juicy Red River storyline. Um, because you know Charles is still here. I still see him at mm-hmm. OU games sometimes. So uh, so that could be very fun and very interesting if he's able to. If to he gets a over. shot to play OU, yeah, I, absolutely, yeah. I, and I think that uh, you know it was hard to. I I, I probably like everybody else probably kind of slept on his his upside, um, but it's just because he's only ever really kind of played garbage time. So um, you know Sam Ellinger being the guy for all these years, you know it's it's kind of hard to know what you got in the backups there. And so when they bring him in to start the second half and he just lets it rip, I mean that was. It was it was a hell of a showing, and it should give uh, Texas fans some um, some measure of optimism. I would think to see what he did, to see Bijan Robinson, the the pick by Alfred Collins was was one of the best plays I saw all year. You know, the one handed, yeah, uh, INT at the line of scrimmage diving backwards. I mean, they've got some they've got some young studs on that team to build around, no question. Well, and and I think that you know when there's a coaching change, you assume there's going to be a transition period, and there very well may be here for for Texas, mm-hmm. but. This team wasn't that far off from being right in the Big Twelve contention. I mean, they 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 no. they lost some very close games. Um, you know, geez, a, a fumble on the goal line at TCU, a four overtime game against Texas, uh, a close loss to Iowa State. This team was close. Yeah. What did I say? Absolutely, and, and yeah, absolutely, and that's why uh, I I'm I'm sure that Sarkin coming in is not looking to tear this whole thing down necessarily. Not to say they're going to win huge right away, but um, I think that's the that's the pitch when you roll in there is, hey, look, look, guys, you're you're not that far off, um, and and we're just going to show you what it takes to take that leap, and and that's what uh, I think ultimately Chris Delconi in Texas felt that um, you know they didn't have the right guy to to kind of execute that leap to to be a you know, Big Twelve champion, a CFP contender, all of that. So, I mean, the if you watch those those last two games from Texas, um, once they were out of it, I think you kind of saw, okay, yeah, it this is what it could have been in 2020, and and maybe this is a sign of of if they can get things clicking right, um, and and certainly uh, got, got a lot of question marks to address, but uh, the the upside is is pretty pretty enticing there for that new staff. Yeah. And Max, we'll we'll get more into Texas with with Aaron Suttles, our Alabama beat writer, who's covered Sark here for the last couple of years. Um, you want to talk Cheez It Bowl? Another crazy Cheez It Bowl. I mean, fake Cheez It Bowl. Yeah, I it's mean, not the real Cheez It Bowl, but it still had Cheez It. It's, not the, it's not the late night game in uh, in in Phoenix that I I desire, but it it was a bowl called the Cheez It Bowl. Yeah, sure. But there were Cheez It Bowl um, attributes. It was still a crazy game. Um, sure. So, so maybe the name has something to it. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it is the fake yeah. cheese at bowl. There's no doubt about it. It's fake. It was uh, that was that was fun to watch. I, certainly, there were moments there that were very confusing. The whole Tylen Wall situation was um, hard to hard to know what was going on there in the in the moment during the game, um, and that led to all sorts of you know people having having takes on the internet about bowls and all that stuff, which kind of comes with it, but. Um, always, always a good. I thought time. that was, yeah. I I thought that was, uh, you know, pretty pretty important for this this uh, Oklahoma State squad that had such high aspirations. That's not where they wanted to finish the year, but um, you know, for that to be a four loss season potentially w- would have been pretty dissatisfying. So, I think 
good effort against a team that, um, you know, Miami, and uh, you know, at the time they played North Carolina was ranked number 10 in the country. So uh, certainly, you know, not bad. And uh, I, I thought that was a strong performance, I think, from Spencer Sanders to to kind of wrap up his second year in the program. Yeah. yeah or, no I doubt. shouldn't say that second year starting, you know. Right. No, it was a good performance by him. It was still a weird game. I mean, Oklahoma State jumps out 21 oh, nothing, yeah. and you sort of think they're about to win by 60. Um, and then Miami comes back and, and makes it really close. Uh, yeah, the Tylen Wallace situation, like you mentioned, was weird. Brennan Presley, uh, uh, another Brennan star Presley. is born. Yeah. Oh, man. I You've been kind of waiting on that one all year because I remember when he got there, they were talking about he kind of had – I mean, they, they used the – the, the comp to Tyreek Hill in terms of his versatility um, to be a receiver, rusher, and return kicks. And, we you know, they've just been so stacked at receiver that you didn't really totally see it this year. But um, once they wanted to lean on him, man, he he looked uh, he looked awesome. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. I Max, do you think this is a critical offseason for Mike Gundy? Because I feel like after the way last offseason went, after the weirdness of this season – um, you know, his contract is tweaked. You know, they tweak his contract a little bit in the aftermath of the Chuba Hubbard thing. This feels like a very important offseason for Mike Gundy. And, and and he wasn't even able to go out and try to leverage uh, another offer uh, to get a raise or to get more money for his program or anything this time. I mean, this feels yeah, pretty not important so far. for him. Yeah, I, I think so. What do you, what do you want to see from Oklahoma State this offseason? Well, I, I mean, I, I just think if they can um, – you know, I, I just want to see how he continues to build on what he's got there. Um, he, you know, with with losing Chuba Hubbard, with losing Tylen Wallace, um, you bring back Spencer Sanders. The defense sort of regressed a little bit at the end of the year, considering how good they were at the beginning of the year. It just feels like an important off season, and next season is a very important season for 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 Gundy. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, lastly, West Virginia uh, kind of they had they had a weird deal with getting getting their matchup switched up and then you get end up with army um, worked out, worked out pretty well. I think that's, that's a really hard team to suddenly get matched up with for a bowl game. But West Virginia, I thought that was a really, uh, really nice finish to, to year 200 Neil Brown there. And uh, I think an important one for them, um, you know, after the way the regular season ended uh, to leave it on the right note. And, and for a team that uh, <clears throat> you know, I thought they, uh, to, to, I think to go six and four in a year like this, considering where they started last year, um, I would call this a pretty successful year too for Neil Brown, all things considered. No, no doubt. Now, I was really impressed, at least in the first half, at how well West Virginia played against Army's offense, considering the short notice. They had a really nice first half against them. Now in the second half, Army got going a little bit. That's just a tough offense to defend. Uh, certainly a tough offense to defend for four quarters, but the West Virginia defense did a really nice job early and that allowed them to sort of be in a position to win there at the end. Austin Kendall comes in. Uh, that's, that's a blast from the past for me. Um, yeah, because you know, he almost beat out Kyler Murray. Um, so, uh, that was a, that was a really impressive performance by him. And then he goes and enters the portal, right? <laughs> like right after the game ends. So, Right, you know, yeah. I don't know. It, it was it was a nice job by him, and and you know, I thought on a day when when West Virginia wasn't really running the ball they, they, the way they'd want to, to to hold our army under 200 rushing yards, I think is 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 definitely going to give you a chance to win against them. So, um, you know, I thought that that West Virginia defense kind of all year long, um, you know, with with few exceptions, I thought 
<laughs> considering they went through that DC change in August, I thought that was a pretty, pretty underrated performance there overall for for the season and, and a nice way to finish it. I would have really liked to have seen that West Virginia defense against Oklahoma's offense. That's a bummer that we didn't get to see that. Yeah, I, th- I think that would have been a pretty uh, competitive game. Um, at least Oklahoma was still playing uh, some close games there towards the end. Uh, you know, it could, it could, they could have rolled in that one. But uh, no, I, I'm with you. I think that would have been that w- would have been a fun one to see for sure. Um, and so I think they, I think they're in good shape in terms of where you know what they bring back and um, you know still being a relatively kind of young program there under under Neil Brown after you know the point in which they took over from from Dan Holgerson. I, I I feel pretty good about them being a team that's going to be, um, you know, right in, right in the middle of the standings there next year and, and potentially in, in, in the conversation. Uh, Max, there's still some uh, coaching hires to be made around the league. Um, TCU still hasn't hired an offensive coordinator yet, but Baylor did. Mm-hmm. Um, Baylor hires BYU's Jeff Grimes. He uh, passed three seasons offensive coordinator at BYU. He was a, a Broyles Award finalist. Um, I think this is a pretty damn good hire. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think um, hard not to be really impressed when you watched BYU this year. They finished number three in, in scoring in the country, um, one of the most explosive offenses, and and, and certainly um, Jeff Grimes, um, you know, came help helped come up with a system that that turned Zach Wilson into a totally unexpected, you know, potential top ten pick this year. So um, I, I think Baylor fans have to be thrilled about this. They did a lot of. Um, they've re- seemed like almost totally remade this offensive staff now. Um, you know, keeping, um, you know, Juice Johnson and Sean Bell, um, moving Sean Bell to QB coach, I think, I think is a good move, but, um, yeah, Dave Aranda, uh, you know, he's not messing around. I think, I thought he did a good job going out and making some, uh, important changes there on offense, which, um, you know, I, I think they just didn't, didn't really totally get it right for year one. No, and that's a team that, again, despite their record, if you watch them play, I mean, they they mm-hmm. had moments on this their year. good days, yeah, for yeah. sure. And and so I don't know that they're that far off. And remember, and also remember, they're only a year removed from being in the Big Twelve Championship game. So this this is a team, this is a program that that can that can be pretty decent next year, I think. Yeah, and I, I think we still haven't really seen. Um, you know, I'm I'm excited to see how they kind of build this around Jacob Zeno or or uh, Gary Bohannon, kind of what direction they go in offensively there, or if Blake Shapen factors in. I, I think it's going to be, um, you know, it's 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 a after all these years of watching Charlie Brewer, it's a fresh start for that offense too. So um, interested to see does that do they kind of go in that direction they had at BYU with a lot of motion, a lot of that kind of Matt Canada style of play. Uh, if they do, I think you could see that being. Um, something that's pretty different in the Big 12, and and something that is is tough to contend with in a league that's that's full of uh, you know unique offenses that that uh, you know stress you in different ways. Next season could be really fun, I think, in the Big 12, based on based on what we know is coming back. Really, I think it could be. I think so. Game. I think we we know. I think we know that Oklahoma is going to be in great shape and and adding a lot of really good, talented players to you know the number number one recruiting class in the league, um, but. You know, I th- I, th- <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that probably feel like they're still pretty close. You know, and 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 how many of them have those kind of genuine, you know, Big Twelve title aspirations, like uh, you know, like Texas, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State did this year. I, I guess we'll see as as it developed. The way the way the portal is going right now, it's hard to like sit here and and do projections about who's back and who's not. You know, it's just right. so crazy right now. 
Yeah, no, the, the portal is uh, is insane. And it's only going to get crazier, man, over the next few years with, with all these recruiting classes signing uh, without taking visits. I mean, next year could be unbelievable for the tra- for the transfer portal. You could be very busy, a very busy man next year at this time, Max. I know it. I know it. So, Jason, what what did you think on Saturday morning when the news comes out that Tom Herman is out, and that and that you know almost immediately after that 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 Steve Sarkeesian is the new head coach of Texas. You know, I I've said on this podcast a few times uh, that I think Tom Herman has been kind of treated unfairly this year. Um, I still think that. I, I think again they were very close in some games. They had a whole new staff. It was a weird season. Um, but on the other hand. I'm not really surprised that they already had something lined up because I think we've talked about this privately, Max, but once once you take the big swing at Urban Meyer and it fails and it gets out that you failed, I don't know how there's any going back um, for, for yeah. Tom Herman. Yeah. I think that relationship was destroyed because not only um, were they sneaking around trying to hire someone behind his back, it happened to be Urban Meyer. I think that, that made it infinitely worse. Yeah, and I think that... Um you know, certainly on Saturday morning, I think we were all sort of scratching our heads about, okay, well, why did they put out this statement on December 12th that Tom Herman, well, the statement said Tom Herman is our coach. So, but, you know, after the fact to say he's coming back in 2021, um, I, you know, at the time I felt like, uh, you know, when we read that, when that came out, it was like, this seems intentionally vague. This seems like um, they're trying to say this to get through the bowl game and signing day and all that. But uh, it seems like there's maybe a little bit of wiggle, wiggle room. What we should have read between the lines on that and the way they chose their words is that, you know, they were still trying to go find the next head coach of Texas, you know, even during that bull process. And they acknowledged that on, on Saturday, they, they'd they been talking to Sark for weeks. So clearly they were determined to make a change no matter who they could get. And uh, they ended up with, with Steve Sarkis. I, you know, I, I'm a little surprised that's the direction they went in. Um, I guess we don't know who all they, they, they spoke with in the process, but um, you know, it's, it's a very, it was a, a, a very abrupt thing on Saturday. I, I didn't think Saturday would be the day. And uh, you know, we've talked a lot over the course of the season about the Tom Herman um, tenure at Texas. Um, I I'm, I'm surprised that I'm not surprised that they, that they're going to, you know, gamble, you know, 24, 25 million dollars on making a change. Uh, but I'm I am surprised in how it went down. Yeah, and can we acknowledge for a second all of the talk back in July about how this might be a, you know, a, a light season and for the coaching carousel because of these budget problems. <laughs> Come on. That clearly isn't isn't the case. So, uh if Texas wanted no, to find the money, they the were going to find the money. the reality is Yeah, the reality is that um the the people who cut the che- who pay pay the money to cut those checks uh, for buyouts are are not within the university. It's it's the it's the boosters. It's the you know the BMDs at Texas, as they like to say, who who fork over the money to go find somebody new. And so that's just it's a it's a ridiculous sport, but that's that's part of it, you know. So yeah, the the fiscal responsibility of 2020, we we didn't uh, really see that so much at the very end. 
No, no, not at all. But uh, I, I will be interested to see the staff that Sark puts together. And we're going to get into that more with, with Suttles here in a minute. But, uh, you know, they tried, it sounds like, to go after Barry Odom as defensive coordinator. That would have been a hell of a hire. But he's yep. but he's going to – sounds like Barry Odom's going to stay at Arkansas. Will Muschamp isn't going to go. So I, I who Sark gets to be the D.C. will be, will be very, very important. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I, I think uh, – and, and you wonder if, if – they don't get the guys they want, you know, maybe could you talk yourself into bringing Chris Ash back? I think the, I think the Texas players generally were happy with the direction that they were going in, um, you know, defensively at the end of the year there um, with that brand new offensive or defensive staff, essentially. Um, so curious if, if they would stand pat or, or if they uh, can go find somebody, uh, certainly it's, I think they're probably throwing around a lot of money right now for these hires. So um, the staff construction, I think it's huge. I, I think more so than even recruiting right now, getting, nailing that part, and, and hiring people that, that know the state of Texas and can recruit their asses off, I think is huge because um, look at where Lincoln Riley is right now and look at where Jimbo Fisher is right now. I mean, I think the momentum is is uh, is undeniable with those two programs. And um, I think for kids in the state of Texas, this is part of why they made the change is that kids were not buying the long-term direction of Texas. Um, and that's why some of them decommitted or, or committed elsewhere. So yeah. I think the recruiting piece of it, they've got to nail that with the staff and uh, fascinated to see what that ends up looking like. Uh, Chris Del Conte kind of teased it, that it was, it was going to be a big deal um, that he, he's got some big names coming. So we'll see what it looks like. The The one thing I, I am curious for your take on with this, Jason is, you know, do you think coaches in the big 12 are, I, don't, I can't imagine their reaction is that they're necessarily scared of the Hark, of the Sark hire. Do you think like, what do you think around the league is it a little bit of more surprise? Do you think there are people that look at this and say, "Oh wow, Texas might finally be getting its act together," or is it more, "Oh, that's interesting. That's I, I don't know. I guess we'll see." I mean, like it, I don't I don't know how much this hire sort of strikes fear in the hearts of the rest of the coaches and ads in the Big Twelve. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, it, it it's not. Here's what's interesting, Max. I feel like the striking fear in the heart of the Big 12 thing, I feel like that happened four years ago. That was Tom Herman. It was like, oh, this rising star who has turned Houston, who beat OU with Houston and signed Ed Oliver at Houston – is coming to Texas? Yep. Oh my God! I think that was the kinda, one that kind of checks. It's the no brainer. It checks all the boxes. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I don't, I don't get the same sense that that Steve Sarkeesian's going to have the same impact. However, who knows? I mean, who knows how any of this <laughs> is going to work? It's it's true. I, they have to um, they have to support Sark a little little better, I would say, and and sort of really wrap their arms around him and and. Uh, you know, try and have some some semblance of alignment in the in the same direction here because and, yeah. it sure seemed like they, uh, you know, people were kind of out on Tom Herman here over the last year, and that just makes it impossible to to win out and go win the Big Twelve. You know, yeah. Well, I I also think that when Charlie Strong was hired, that was I mean, he was a rising coach. I mean, he had beaten the crap out of Florida with Louisville in the Sugar Bowl, um, done a really good job there. I mean. You know, who knows what's going to work? I mean, the last two yeah. both seemed like good hires and neither of them worked. So, yeah. So I could see fans throughout the Big 12 that are not Texas fans just sort of being like, you know, shrug, whatever. Like, OK, yeah, suddenly we're supposed to be scared of Texas again. Like, I think we're all kind of in that mode of like, I'll, I'll let me uh, let me see it before I believe it. You know, mm-hmm. 
absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, Sark has done a really good job at Alabama. That offense is unbelievable. And uh, we could be in for some really, really fun Red River games in the next few years if, if both those offenses get clicking. That, that could be a blast. Yeah, you know, and Tom Herman went one and four against Oklahoma, but they were all they were all awesome games. You know, like I think right. Texas hasn't been. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of one of the weird things with the the Herman era. Like they never got blown out by by twenty plus by anybody, but they just yeah. played so many damn close games that it was just so frustrating. I so think, I'm uh, yeah, I'm fascinated to see can can they break that trend? You know, of just playing so many close games and, and shooting themselves in the foot and not you know, playing down the, the competition. That's just a, a tendency of theirs that they have to break. Well, you, you, I, I, I guess I didn't realize that how many close games there were till I read uh, your, your piece off of the Tom Herman news. That was unbelievable. You also made a very, very excellent star Wars analogy. I have to just <laughs> give it up to you on that one, man. I loved it. You know, it's funny. And I think after publishing that um, and sharing it, there was definitely some people, so the 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 bit at the end of the the Tom Herman story was that um, you know I I I've and I've said this for a while I've I've even said this to Crystal Connie because I I do believe it that Texas if they get everything together they have all the resources and power and everything to be a Death Star to be this evil empire that everybody you know everybody already hates them but they can be that you know that evil empire that everybody kind of uh, envies that can can really you know be dominant but over these over this decade really it's it's been more like the death star in the sense that um it's pretty pretty easy to blow it up um due to, due to hubris and design flaws and all that and of course after i published that i had some people being like what about rogue one i mean you know you're forgetting that it was an intentional design flaw you know by by galen or so so it's like yeah i'm sorry i forgot my forgot my canon there you know that's oh good god my bad people. everybody i'd like to formally apologize for that Look, I am a Star Wars nerd myself, and I never thought sure. about that because just shut up. Yeah, I know. I only <laughs> saw that movie like once. It was it was fine. It was kind of a production mess. I, I wish it were better, but um, I think it still still stands that uh, it's uh, you know Texas is this Death Star that's that's never really fully functional. The fact that you just uh, kind of shit on Rogue One that that may make people the maddest of anything that got said on this because I feel it's like fine. Star Wars fans love that movie. I I thought it was fine. It's a it's a like the last like twenty thirty minutes are fantastic. It's a great ending. It's one of the best endings to a Star Wars movie. But I mean that movie's a mess. Come on, <laughs> we can we can admit that. Better or worse than the prequels? I'd love to hear from people who who like you know who 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 disagree with me on that. That's fine, but. I mean, we don't. We could. We could talk about Star Wars for another hour here. Okay, we could. We could. Let's let's go ahead and bring on Aaron Suttles before this thing gets completely off the rails. How about that? <laughs> Sounds good. We're now joined by the great Aaron Suttles, our Alabama beat writer for the Athletic. Uh, Aaron, busy, busy, busy time in Tuscaloosa. So appreciate you joining us. Um, guess let's start here. Uh, why don't you tell the fine folks where you were when uh, when Sark got the Texas job? <laughs> Max has to zing me for this one. This is my own fault. I, naively, I thought the day after the Rose Bowl in Texas, which is a weird statement into it sure itself. Yeah. My in-laws and we were we sort of made a mini little family vacation. I was on a JFK tour. <laughs> I was on a bus doing a JFK tour and my phone started buzzing and we were in the middle of the tour. So I, did, I ignored it at first. And then I'm, I finally picked it up and I saw uh, I'd missed 
a call from Max. I'm like, well, Max didn't Max just doesn't call. I'm like, something's up. So I checked my Twitter. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, because I you're just not chilling only on the grassy knoll and Sark gets we're the job. Literally on our way to the grassy knoll and the book depository. And we, we did all that. Um <laughs> and right after that, we were getting on the road to drive back to Alabama. So there was literally no, it was the worst possible time. So what what's your I guess immediate reaction when you hear that that news that um, that that's the job Sark landed um, after you know putting in some some really successful years at Alabama and I guess since then what you know what, what do you kind of make of this hire? Believe it or not, this had been rumored. I mean, I had heard rumors about this for two weeks that this was a possibility. But in my mind, I go back to traditional coaching hires and that I mean this this is the Literally, I can't think of any other coaching search that went, we fired a coach and then it it leaked immediately who they had hired. So in my mind, when I'm hearing all these rumors a couple weeks before, I'm like, well, Texas, they have a coach. There's no job opening. Right. So I, I sort of put it on the back burner and, and I knew there was some legitimate um, conversation because the context clue for me is when he turned down the Auburn interview. And I, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was one heck of a context clue that something's going on. Um, and then it turned out to be Texas. I think it's a good fit. Think about this, guys. Did Steve Sarkeesian maybe make the, one of the greatest decisions of all time by turning down the opportunity to be Kyler Murray's offensive coordinator in Arizona? Not not from the fact of working with Kyler Murray. That's everybody would love that. But from the fact that he might not have. I mean, he might be on thin ice today with the way the Cardinal season finished out. To, to from making that decision from being that in that position maybe two years later to now being the head coach at Texas. Are you kidding me? Like, that's a heck of a two-year ride. Oh, yeah. Well, and that would have been, you know, you would have been working for Cliff trying to run Cliff's offense. Like, he's had a chance yeah. to instead beat Alabama and and run. I, I mean, you've seen this for a long time. I mean, best Bama offense you've ever seen, right? Oh, it's incredible. And, and he's so creative, guys. It, he, he is so good. He, they've done things this year that, and again, I'm not I'm not a, t- a huge X's and O's guy, and, and it may be commonplace, but he's run a couple plays at Alabama this year that I literally, as I'm watching from the press box and they're and they're they're playing out, it blew my mind. Now, to do some of the stuff he's he's done, you're going to have to have a great offensive line, and Alabama has the best offensive line in college football. But I'll give you two examples. He ran with Devontae Smith a fake wide receiver screen into a slant that was for a touchdown against Auburn, which. I, I'm like, how do you defend that if you're if you're a cornerback? And then he ran against Florida in the SEC championship game. He takes Najee Smith or, or Najee Harris rather, the, the running backs, lines him up wide right, has him run a hitch where he s- literally turns around and stops waiting for the ball. The poor linebacker or safety trying to defend him runs out over there and then he runs a post off of that. I, I don't know what, what you're supposed to. We're at the point with college football offenses, and I'm sure Jason's seen this with Lincoln Riley. I literally. I feel sorry for defensive coordinators. We've reached such a level with quarterbacks are so good. There are more great wide receivers than ever. The rules of the the game sort of favor our offenses. I don't know what you do for defense anymore. It's it's funny, Suttles, to hear you say that because we were having that conversation in the Big 12 like five or six years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling We feel bad for defensive coordinators. <laughs> quarterbacks and receivers are too what good. What an impossible the rules job. Told- yeah, of course. Yeah, the rules are in favor of the offense. This is just funny that that it's caught up with the SEC finally. But uh, but no, I mean, Suttles did. I mean, was the trend for Steve Sarkeesian that he was going to be a head coach again? I mean, did you sense that coming even before hearing some of the Texas rumors? I mean, was this was this sort of on the way for him? 
Yeah, I thought I thought that was his plan. Last year, you know, his name popped up for a couple of positions. Mississippi State, um, it was either Colorado or Colorado State last year his name was linked to. So either he or his representatives were sort of putting him back out there. And I don't know if that was testing the waters or, or what, but um, it was sort of the plan. And, and I'll say this, um, he's going to be – tagged with a label of of what happened at usc for the rest of his life yeah. um and, and the way that played out and that's just I and mean, that, that's part of what happened that's part of his narrative his history but alabama has devoted a inor- inordinate amount of resources for sark um to, to sort of help help him in in his fight for his sobriety and you know you know good for him he's, he's not afraid to talk about it and and that which makes it easier i guess but they made it very easy. And you, you start thinking about this sort of uh, Nick Saban halfway house for former coaches. Right. One of the benefits of that is not only getting to see the way Nick Saban structures his organization, all, all of that, but you sort of get to rehab your image, image behind the scenes. Like they don't make media's uh, the assistance available to the media. So for these two years, we, we see Sark maybe once or twice a year. And w- what we associate with Sark now is – putting three guys in the top five of the Heisman trophy ceremony and yep. winning the Heisman trophy and unbelievable offense. That's what we think of when we think of Steve Sarkeesian now and not the way it ended at USC. Well, it's funny too, because he, he worked with Charlie strong this year. So I'm sure Charlie can give him a couple tips on what to do and what not to do at Texas. Yeah. And, and Mike Stoops, <laughs> I mean, there's my major hey. white was on this staff, Butch Jones was on this staff. It's just, uh, if you've been fired from somewhere, you're likely to end up at Alabama. Yeah, it, it, that's, that's a great point, Aaron. And, you know, I, it feels like your job after the, the uh, you know, national title game every year is is more to cover the staff recruiting than the uh, the, the player recruiting here and the, and the football recruiting. So how do you see – I know it's, you know, it's, it's Wednesday morning here and this is a fast-moving deal and there's obviously kind of a lot of rumors that fly around with this stuff. But, um, you know, do you think it's realistic that, that Sark is going to – uh, poach a bunch of staffers from from Alabama, and, and what does that look like? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any question. Um, and and there'll be the – think of it as an iceberg. There's the ice above the water that you see, but what people never really sort of factor into Saban's greatness is the ice below the sea that people mm-hmm. take, the staffers, the analysts that get poached um, along yeah. the way that might have been in line for promotion at Alabama, but they get poached and suddenly they're gone. So it's, it, it really sort of um, weakens the entire foundation when Alabama goes through this constant churn of coordinators. But, you know, Kyle Flood is a guy, they have a relationship. Steve Sarkeesian, he's been just coached the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line at Alabama. I think Jeff Banks is a guy, the special teams and, and tight ends coach at Alabama. He's got ties to Texas. He's, I mean, go look at what Alabama did recruiting-wise in the state of Texas this yeah. year. They they plucked the number yeah. one tackle. They got a, um, the, the number. He did a hell of a job at A and M in recruiting too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's so it, that'd he, be a no brainer. And then you know you, you hear rumors about Holloman Wiggins. I, I would I would imagine that Saban would fight to keep a guy like Jeff Banks if it's a money thing. But sometimes it's more than a money thing. It's 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 taxing. It's very taxing mentally and emotionally to work for Nick Saban. I think we all can can um, acknowledge that, but. Uh, I think those names are certainly um, names that I would watch of, of the above the ice. And then, you know, he's had relationships with these guys behind the scenes that, that he may give some opportunities to, too. 
it's it's funny to hear you say that that those sort of beneath the ice hires can can break the foundation because from the outside it doesn't look like there's any problem at Alabama. They just seem to reload. Yeah, and that's what's uh, so impressive, there. right? I mean, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think anyone else could do it. No one really factors that in. We we think, well, man, losing Kirby, losing Jeremy, um, losing Loxley. You know, these are guys that we know, but they're guys behind the scenes like. Um, um, Glenn Schumann at Georgia is one of their top recruiters. He wasn't a, he wasn't an assistant coach at Alabama. He was an analyst, mm-hmm. and he goes straight from that to um, to Georgia of all places. So I mean, it hasn't broken the foundation, but it always weakens it because um, even though the clo- the coaching circuit is a real close fraternity, I mean, once you get five, six, seven, eight times removed from all that, you got guys that you worked with. Now they're hiring the guys that you gave opportunities to. So where do you go for some of these candidates and um, that's where Alabama, you know, seems to always find itself. They've had a couple of years of relatively normal turnover. I mean, a few years ago, it was 70% of the staff, right? 70% of your off, like of your assistant coach is gone in one off season and the constant churn of coordinators, it, it, it's worn on Nick Saban, but Hey, you, you saw this last off season, even, even in strength and conditioning, you'd say, Oh, yeah. God forbid they ever lose Scott Cochran. And no, they just go hire the guys from Indiana Alabama and do even better. Conditioning coach went to be an on the field coach. On the field coach. Georgia. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> it's crazy. Covering Incredible. this program and what you know, the, every offseason is wild. Incredible. So I, I guess final question for you here, Aaron, and appreciate your time. Um, what what do you think it's going to take for Sark to be successful at Texas? Obviously, um, it has is proven very, very difficult for the two guys that have succeeded Mac Brown. Um, and you know, to some degree, I'm sure it helps that Sark has been at a program like this in, in terms of USC and, and has been in that pressure cooker and has had that kind of access to talent. What do you think it's going to take, uh, for this to actually work out for Texas? Something that maybe Texas isn't capable of patience. I mean, it, any coach, it takes patience. Nick Saban lost to Louisiana Monroe his first year. There, it takes a while to build. I don't care if you're the greatest coach of all time. It takes a while to build your program. And he's got a, the 500-pound gorilla that's their biggest rival that's humming every year. And what they just did to Florida, they look like they're going to be scary next year. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to take patience. Uh, and obviously getting a quarterback, because I think that's the way that Sark, with his offense, he needs a quarterback. And if I were Alabama – I would be somewhat concerned about the former five-star true freshman Bryce Young. I'm not saying he's leaving. I, please don't put this whoever's whoever's editing this. Don't part, aggregate this, people. Don't put Come the on. Title. Aaron Suttle says Bryce Young's leaving. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Steve Sarkeesian is the reason that Bryce Young is at Alabama. His son played with Bryce Young at uh, in high school. That's where the relationship stems. And what happens if Mac Jones, who's a redshirt junior, decides to come back? So just something to watch. Um, I'm not ringing any alarm bells, but I think he needs a quarterback and he needs some patience from all the billionaires in Texas and their oil money that, man, it it doesn't happen overnight. Good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Aaron. Appreciate this. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks so much again to Aaron Suttles for, for hopping on with us to talk about Sark. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please subscribe to our show, One True Pod, on Apple or Spotify. Leave us a review and a good rating and find our stories on The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber yet to The Athletic, you can sign up with our latest promotional offer at theathletic.com slash one true pod. 
You don't just get the best college football coverage. You get all of our sports coverage. So be sure to take advantage. And we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.